Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle from The Table in Uniontown. Thanks for tuning into our podcast this week. We're happy you're here. This is the live recording from last Sunday's sermon. We hope that as you listen, you'll more deeply understand the truth of God's Word and how much He loves you. Let's jump into the Word. So we have Carrie Summers with us this morning. Carrie has become a friend of mine over the past three, four years. He's known my wife since she was a a small child, I believe. Carrie is um, a local business owner, but more than that, he's an elder at Evermore. And he was an elder when uh, our church was getting started. He was one of the elders that interviewed me uh, to be the church planner in residence for Evermore. And uh, I don't know whether you call this discernment or a lack of, but said yes to me. Uh, he, he's the reason you all are stuck with me, and we are just honored and blessed to have him here this morning, and I am just very grateful uh, for the week off and that you're here. So uh, just give Carrie a hand as he comes up and prepares to share with us. Well, thanks for that introduction, Joey. That was, uh, that was very nice. Um, it is an honor to be here this morning. Uh, we, I wanted to come here for since it started, just to come visit and see how, how you guys do church, and uh, we're always just so busy at our church, it's hard. My wife wanted to be here this morning, but she is in charge of our children's Bible memory program, and today was a big day for them to kick off the new um, fiscal year, so, so she couldn't come this morning, but um, it's good to be here. Like Joey said, I've known Sarah for many, many years. We were just saying how it feels like uh, yesterday I was her youth leader, and here she's got a couple kids, and I have teenagers, and life moves fast, so... Um, but it's good to be here. So, um, so all of us in this room here this morning, we've all, we all know about failure, right? We've all experienced failure from one degree to, to another. Uh, we don't win every baseball game. We don't win every football game or basketball game. And, uh, and some of the failures are even bigger than that. But all of us in here have experienced the sharp, lashing pain of failure. Uh, maybe you failed a test before. I know I've done that. I remember in school and the teacher putting my paper down on my table uh, upside down and I lift it over and I'm like, ooh, that ain't good. And now I have the task of going home and telling my parents. Uh, Maybe you failed a driver's test before. Maybe you've gone through the pain and the agony of of a hard divorce and you look back at that that chapter of your life and you consider that to be a big failure. Uh, Maybe you started a business and the business just never quite took off, or it was doing good for a while, but then COVID came, and you had to close up your business, and you look at yourself as a business owner as a big failure. So we've all experienced failure. So the question I have for you this morning is, uh, if, if we've failed or not, the question I have for you is, what do we do with our failures? And you, want, you might say, well, I never want to fail. Well, then you'll never live, because every day that we get up and we walk out the door, we risk failure. And if you want to do something for the Lord and you want to change for him and make a difference for him and impact the world for God, you're going to risk failure. So the question we have today is, is what do we do when we fail? Well, John chapter 21 is really about that, and that's where we're going to be this morning. It's about an encounter that Jesus has with one of the most famous disciples, Peter. And as you're turning there to John chapter 21, let me set the stage for you here. Um, So Jesus has already been crucified. All right, and he has already been raised from the dead. And he's appeared to the disciples now a couple times, but he's no longer with them constantly. He's no longer just hanging out with them, walking with them, talking with them, doing ministry with them. He's with them for a few moments, and then boom, he's gone. 
So for the disciples, it's really kind of a confusing time for them. They're not 100% sure what their whole role is in this, in this Jesus thing. You know, they're, they're not 100% what to do, uh, not 100% sure of, uh, of what, what they're supposed to do next. So, so let's start there on, on John chapter 21, verse 1. And it says, after this, and I'm reading from the ESV version, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called a twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. So, so picture this, there's, there's seven disciples sitting around, and they're not sure what to do next. And Simon says, you know what? Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples say, you know what? We're going to go with you. Now, I don't think this is a recreational fishing trip. I know I'm sure we got a lot of fishermen in, in this uh, room here. And typically when you guys go fishing, fishing is a time that you can go and take your mind off of, off of life, off of work. It's a time to go relax. All right. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's not me. That does not sound like fun to me. But I know a lot of my friends that love that stuff. For me, I like to go fishing, but I like to go fishing with my boys or with my friends, and it's more of a social time for me. But for a lot of people, that's what you guys like to do, is you like to go fishing and just be out there in the water by yourself or with another person and just relax and be calm and not think about work. But if you think about Peter, before Jesus had called Peter to come and follow him, Peter was a fisherman. This was work to him. So Peter, you know, he was a fisherman. He knew boats. He knew fish. He knew nets. He knew the sea. He knew the weather. He knew uh, the best times of the day to go fishing. He knew the best spots to fish. This was what Peter did. So I think that this was more of not a recreational thing for him, but more of a thing of going back to work, kind of. And so he's there with the disciples, and Peter, kind of being the leader of these seven disciples, says, you know what, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples say, you know what, we'll go with you. So they get into the boat, and they go out into the, the sea, but that night they catch nothing, right? They catch nothing that night. So let's talk about Peter for a second. Peter, um, Peter was the one who said, uh, Lord, you know, when, when he walked out into the water, he said, Lord, call out to me, and I'll come, follow, and I'll come out too. He was also the, one, the first one to tell Jesus that you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. But yet he was also the one that said, you shouldn't go to the cross, Peter was the one who was constantly putting his foot in his mouth. It was like he didn't have a filter. You know, I think that maybe that's why I like him so much is because I can relate to him. I don't always have a filter, my wife tells me. But, um, but that's how Peter was. He was a bit impulsive, a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, chaotic, but um, he had an amazing heart for God, right? He loved God. So I'm sure you all know the story, but the, the, night, that Jesus was the night that Jesus was betrayed, he told Peter and the rest of the disciples, he said, Look, I'm going to be betrayed tonight, and all of you guys are going to desert me. And Peter was like, what? What? Not me. No way. No way. I'll desert you. I mean, maybe these other disciples will, but not me. I mean, Lord, I love you. I'm more committed to you than these other guys are. I'm more devoted to you than these other disciples. I'll die for you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, tonight before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Well, we know the story. Just as Jesus had predicted, the, the Roman soldiers came and they seized him and took him away. And all the disciples scattered and they deserted him, including Peter. But Peter followed from a distance and he followed him from a distance. And he followed him into the courtyard where they were questioning Jesus. 
And while he was there, Peter went over to the, uh, to the fire to warm himself. And there he was approached by someone, and they were like, hey, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And he's like, me? No, 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 Jesus. No, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything about him. And then he was asked again, hey, aren't you from Galilee? No, 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 I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, this Jesus guy. And then the third time someone approached him and asked him if he, if he was a follower of Jesus, Peter got worse, and he even swore, and he said, I have nothing to do with that man. And just at that moment, the rooster crowed, and he remembered what Jesus had said. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, it says when that rooster crowed, that Jesus was actually across the courtyard, and he could actually see Peter from where he was at. And it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter, and Peter had remembered what he had said. Now, I can't imagine what Peter was going through at that time. To hear that rooster, to hear that rooster crow, to remember what Jesus said, and then to look across the courtyard, and there's Jesus, probably in shackles, and turns and looks at him, and the hurt on his face. I can't imagine what Peter was going through at that time. For all practical purposes, we could say that Peter really messed up, right? I mean, he'd blown it big time. I mean, this was his chance. This was his opportunity to say, you know what, I am a follower of Jesus. No matter what the consequences are, I am a follower of Jesus. But instead, he denied that he even knew him three times. And he ran away and he wept bitterly. And although he had seen, I mean, since this failure that Peter had, although he had seen Jesus a couple times now, he hadn't talked about his failure. He hadn't dealt with it yet. And how many of us know that, um, you know, when we fail at something, it's easy for us to give up that thing that we failed at and go back to what we know how to do best, right? I mean, I'll use a sports analogy here. Um, you know, some of you in here might be really good bas- basketball players or, or, uh, or soccer players. And you, know, might, you might think, I'm going to give that up and I'm going to go into golf because golf's a lot less strenuous on the body and it's a little bit more relaxing. But after uh, breaking a few car windows and realizing that you have the worst slice in the history of golf, that would be me, um, you're like, you know what, I'm going to give up this golf thing and go back to what I know how to do better. I'm going to go play basketball. You know, um, I think that's what Peter was going through here. I mean, after three years of following Jesus, after three years of praying with people, casting out demons, healing people, walking with Jesus, Peter's now pushing that aside. And he's saying, you know what, I'm going back to fishing. Why? Because he felt like I failed at that. I'm going to go back to what I know how to do best. Some of us in here have probably done that. You know, we were excited about what the Lord has done in our lives, and we're like, you know what, I'm going to start a small group. I'm going to start a small Bible study, and it's going to be great, and all these people are going to come, and they're going to invite their friends, and it's going to grow, and it's going to be amazing. And after a while, you realize, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought. People aren't coming like I thought they were, and, uh, you know, teaching's hard. And I'm putting a lot of time into this, and I'm not very good at teaching. You know what? I think I'm just going to give this up. I'm going to give this up, and I'm just going to go um, back to working, put more hours into work, because you know what? That's what I'm good at. I'm going to work more and just make more money. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give that stuff up. I think that's what Peter was kind of going through here. Peter was thinking, what was I thinking to think that I could follow Jesus, that I could minister on Jesus' behalf? What was I thinking to think that I could disciple people on Jesus' behalf, that I could be a leader for the church, that I could start a church and, and, and disciple people and help people out? I mean, look at me. I'm a failure. I failed 
That's what I do. I'm a failure. I'm going to give all that up. I'm just going to go back to fishing. See, that's what failure will do to us. Failure will make us give up that thing that God's called us to do and go back to doing what we think we know how to do best because failure really hurts, right? So I could almost guarantee in this room, probably everybody in here has played a video game at least once or twice in their life, right? I mean, aren't video games great? For me growing up, it was the, the Nintendo with Super Mario Brothers and all that stuff. It was great. And um, nowadays, you know, they got the Xbox 5000 and the PlayStation 12. I don't even know what they have anymore, but uh, these video games are crazy anymore. But the great thing about playing a video game is, especially if you're playing a race car game, is if you wreck the car, you don't have to take the car to the shop. You don't have to pay to get it fixed. You don't have to go to the emergency room to get any broken bones fixed or anything. All you got to do is one little simple thing, and that's just, boop, hit the reset button. I mean, isn't the reset button great? I mean, it's like you start all over, you start fresh. It's like you got a brand new beginning. Your past doesn't exist. I mean, I would wish so bad I would have the reset button in my life, and I would be able to hit reset, right? Well, God does have a reset button. And this morning, I want to talk about three different ways that we can experience God's reset in our lives. Okay? So the number one is I experience reset in my life when I stop running from my life-defining failures and I start running towards Jesus. And let me explain that. In verse 4 of this chapter, it says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So here's what I want you to understand. Even if we've, even if we've blown it big time in our marriage, or we've blown it big time in our business, or we've blown it big time in our ministry, or big time in our education, you know, it can make us feel like God's not there. Failure has a way of making us feel like we're all alone. But I love this. It, Jesus stood on the shore, and he was watching them the whole time. See, failure has a way of making us feel like we're all alone. And in the midst of that failure, we feel like, you know what? Nobody knows what I'm going through, and nobody else even cares what I'm going through. Failure has a way of isolating us. It has a way of blocking us from feeling the presence of God. And in the midst of our failure, we start to think, you know what? Where is God? Does God even care? Is God even here? And does God even know what I'm going through? But I love this scripture. He was right there the whole time. He was watching them the whole time. And they had no, no idea. In verse 5, then, Jesus yells out to them. He says, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, I would love to know what that conversation was like in that boat. I would love to know that. I mean, here they've been all night long. They've been fishing on the left side, not catching anything. And here's this guy yelling from the shore, hey, throw your net on the other side. I mean, they've got to be thinking, seriously, there's no fish here. The boat's only 10 foot wide or so. You'd think there's going to be fish here. But for some reason, you know, maybe they were just tired and they were just like, look, let's just do it. I don't know. But for some reason, they did. They threw the net on the other side of the boat. And the Bible says that when they did that, there were so many fish that they couldn't even pull the net up. And this is where the story gets great. When that happens, they realize, John tells Peter, he says, Peter, it's the Lord. And they realize that it's Jesus. And Peter drops everything, jumps out of the boat, and swims all the way out to Jesus. I believe that this was the beginning of Peter starting to heal from his failure. Because there was a switch, there was a moment, there was a time where Peter said, you know what, 
I'm no longer going to stay here fishing anymore. I'm running to Jesus. He had failed, but he said, I'm no longer going to sit here in my failure anymore. I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to run to Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat. He swims. He runs. He goes all the way out to Jesus. Now picture it. It's 300 feet. That's 100 yards. I know I'm really good at math. So it's 100 yards. I, I, I pictured this a couple weeks ago when I was at a football game. Picture the boat in one end zone, and Jesus is all the way at the other end zone, and that's water. Peter jumps out of the boat, and he swims and runs out to Jesus. And, and think about the excitement, too. I mean, they just, caught, they just caught 153 fish, the Bible says. Think about the excitement of catching those fish. And he sees it as Jesus, and he's like, I don't care. I'm running to him. I'm running to him. And, and this is the man, he had just failed really bad. You know, he had just denied him three times, and he said, I'm, I'm, I don't care about this. I'm running to Jesus no matter what it takes. Think about our lives, the, the, how our lives could be different if we ever had that excitement towards Jesus that we're going to drop whatever we're doing and go to spend time with him and pray with him. So um, I'm behind here in my notes. <clears throat> so the first step in overcoming our failure is for us to um, stop running from our failures and instead we run towards Jesus. Step two in resetting our life. I experienced reset in my life when I receive painful healing discipline that restores my life. Look, nobody likes discipline, right? Nobody likes discipline. Nobody likes giving out discipline. I hate disciplining my kids. That's why I always have my wife do it. <laughs> but um, we, we hate discipline, right? But I want to read a scripture from Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 5. You don't need to turn it there or anything, but just listen to these words. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he rebukes everyone he accepts as his son. Those are amazing words. He rebukes you because he considers you his son. For my, I got three boys, and I dis- we discipline them, and I do it because I love them, and I want them to grow up to be amazing men of God. That's why I discipline them. And that's how God looks on us. He disciplines us because he loves us. And he wants us to grow up to be amazing men and women of God and serve him. Um, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to think, you know, the words of Jesus are just going to be nice and just soft and give you a warm, fuzzy feeling. But it's not all that, always that way. Sometimes the words of Jesus rebuke us and they challenge us. And um, so we need to accept discipline. Now back to John chapter 21, verse 12. It says, Jesus said to them, so, so they had just, let me get back a second, they just got to the shore, Peter ran to the shore, and the others on the boat pulled in the fish, and they towed behind him, and they all got to shore. When they got to shore, there's Jesus, he's got a fire going, he's got some hot coals going, he's got some fish cooking, and he's got some bread. So I guess Jesus was a, he was a cook, he could make breakfast for everybody. So they get there, and as they're there, Jesus said to them, come. Have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask who he was because they already knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and he gave it to them, and so with the fish. This is the third time he had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So I want you to picture this morning. There's eight of them now sitting around a fire. The disciples were probably exhausted. They'd been up all night fishing. And, uh, and, and Jesus looks over at Peter and how many of us know that when we fail someone and we haven't talked yet about that failure, then it can feel like a really big issue between you, right? And again, they hadn't talked about Peter's failure. So I think Peter was probably thinking, this is a big issue. 
and you know he probably felt like, oh boy, am I going to get am I going to get chewed out here? Um, so he looks at him, and um, verse fifteen through seventeen. Listen to what it says. When I had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now Peter should have known right away that he was in serious trouble when he used his full name. We all know that when our parents used our middle name, our full name, we were in some serious trouble, right? So he uses his full name, and he says, Do you love me more than these? Now, who are these that he's talking about? Well, I think that he probably pointed to the other disciples and says, Do you love me more than these? Because if you remember, it wasn't too long before that where Peter said, I love you more than these disciples. I'm more committed to you than these disciples. I'm more devoted to you than these guys. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? I can only picture that scene. And Peter kind of putting his head down a little bit and just, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says to him, then feed my sheep. So what's he talking about? Is Peter a shepherd or something? No, he's not talking about real sheep. He's talking about the calling that Peter has on his life. Peter had abandoned his call. And Jesus is saying, look, if you love me, then take up your call. Don't abandon it. Don't walk away. Don't bail out. Take up your gifting. Take up your ministry. Take up your call. That's what, Peter, that's what Jesus is saying to Peter there. And then he says it to him a second time. He says, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter, probably shuffling his feet down a little bit, and says, well, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Notice he's not comparing himself anymore. Then he says it a third time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? You think, man, three times he's asking him, why is he doing that? I mean, he's really grilling him. Well, if you remember, Peter had denied him three times. And now Jesus is asking him three times, do you love me? And this is his way of rebuking Peter. This is his way of challenging Peter, helping him overcome his failures. And then in verse 17, and it says, and Peter was hurt. And there was pain and shame. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. So here's what I want you to know. Even if you've blown it big time, you know, if God's given you something and you, you messed it up, you mismanaged it, and you failed, we can feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. Spiritually, I, I can't do this. It's too hard. Spiritually, I'm just, I'm just done. But the way that we show our love for God is not by having this goosebump emotional feeling towards him. The way, that we ex- the way we express our love to God is by embracing the call that he has on our life. Jesus is saying, do you love me? Then use your gifts. Do you love me? Then serve me. Do you love me? Then don't give up on your call. Do you love me? Then roll up your sleeves and pursue the plans and the purpose that I have for your life. That's how you show me that you love me. So we talked about spiritual gifts, and um, you know we're, we're actually starting a new study in our Sunday school about spiritual gifts. But I encourage you to. There's many books out there on spiritual gifts. There's so many spiritual gifts out there. Um, you know, if it's hospitality or serving or praying, whatever it is, it's so important to use the gifts God's given us. All these special gifts. It's so important us to figure those gifts out and to use those gifts. Um, my wife is amazing at hospitality. That is her gift. She is amazing at it, and she is just a great server. That is what she does, and she uses that to the glory and honor of God. Um, 
So the one last point we're going to make here on experiencing reset in our lives. First one was um, stop running from our failures and start running towards Jesus. The second one was uh, embracing God's rebuke in our life. And the third one is I experience reset in my life when I pay attention to the plans for my life and I stop playing the comparison game. It's so easy for us to compare ourselves with others, and it's so hard for us to not compare ourselves with others. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily read verses 18 through 20, but to summarize basically what they're saying is, is Peter or Jesus is talking to Peter, and he's saying, look, you've had a time now where, as following me, you've been able to pretty much do whatever you want, but there's coming a time where your hands are going to be bound and you're going to be taken away as a prisoner, and you're going to stretch out your hands and, and you're going to die for my sake. And tradition tells us that Peter was, Peter was crucified. Um, he experienced a martyr's death. And um, so Jesus was telling him, look, you're, you're gonna, there's going to come a time where you're going to die for my name, for my sake. And Peter, and only the way that Peter can do, responds by saying, he points over to John. He's like, well, what about him? And, I mean, doesn't he sound like a little kid right there? It's like, you know, hey, go clean your room. Oh, what about him? What about him? And I love Peter, or Jesus' response. He says, he says, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? What is that to you? We've got to stop comparing ourselves with other people. The point I'm trying to make here with Peter is, um, you know, if we wanna, sometimes if we want to serve God and follow God and we want to hit the reset button in our lives, we got to stop comparing ourselves to others. we got to think about what God's called us to do. We have to, um, we have to say, you know what, no matter what it takes, no matter what, what God's called in my life, no matter what my past is, I'm going st- to work on that. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I don't care what, this, what you've called this person to do. I don't care what you've called that person to do, how far in advance that person is. It's about me and you. I'm going to follow you. we got to stop comparing ourselves with other people and think about the calling that God has on our lives. So those are the three main steps in, in uh, resetting our life. Um, you know, it would be great if I had a big button up here to hit reset, and we could all just reset. Obviously, we don't have that, but God does have a reset button, and it's called confession and repentance. And I want to encourage you this morning. If, if, if you know, you've, you've failed in the past, which we all have, but it's, it's really, it's been a burden on you and it's just dragged you down. Um, I want to encourage you to, to reset your life and think about these things that you can do. Um, we serve an amazing God, an amazing God who's a God of not just one and two chances or three chances and four chances, but on and on and on and on and on. And I want to encourage you to, um, you know, think about Peter. Peter, uh, you know, he could have, after this big miserable failure that he had, he could have said, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with this Jesus thing. I'm done with this, this Christianity. I can't do it. I'm a failure, and I'm just going to go out and be a fisherman. Think about how the difference uh, the, the Christian church would be, how, the, how different the Bible would be if he would have done that. I mean, God would have used somebody else, but, but think about the difference that it would have been if Peter would have just said, I'm done. I can't do this. You know, we've all failed. We've all failed um, many, many times, but we need to pick ourselves up and say, and say God, use me. God, use me, and, and I'll serve you. Um, so that's, that's kind of the word I have for you this morning. I know it's a little, little bit probably shorter than what Joe usually shares, but uh, um, we usually have a time frame on our uh, Evermore services that we've got to keep it down a little bit. But uh, um, I do want to pray over us, and I believe you guys have communion every week. Um, so 
But during this time, I just want you to think, um, you know, about about overcoming your failures and um, and think about Peter and what he did, and uh, just what an uh, amazing God that we serve. That he uh, he knows we're going to fail before we do it, but yet he still loves us and accepts us. So um, so let's just pray. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you do, and uh, I thank you for loving us, Lord. That you love us so much. Lord, that you rebuke us when we need it, Lord, but yet you accept us, Lord, as we are. And uh, we just thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that is new every morning. We thank you, Lord, that even though we fail you, Lord, you accept us back in, and you want us, and you choose us to serve you, Lord God, and to, and to further your kingdom. We're so thankful for that. We love you. And I just pray this morning, if anybody's here struggling with the failures that they've had in life, Lord, I pray that you would um, help them reset their lives and reset their hearts. And just, uh, I pray your blessing over everybody. Um, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the table, for Joey and Sarah and for this church. And we just pray for your anointing and blessing over this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. first point, the first point that you made about uh, not running from your failures, but running to Jesus, the first time you said it, you said something along the lines of not running from your life-defining failures, I believe, I believe is how you said it, something about failures that define you, and um, I don't know if you all are like me, maybe you're not, maybe I'm strange, but uh, definitely I'm strange, but maybe not in this. Um, failures tend to define me to myself. If I'm, if I'm not nice to my wife in one conversation or short with her, in my heart, I've become a jerk to my wife. It's not a one-time thing. If, you know, if, if I plan a church and it fails, it, it doesn't become a thing that didn't work out one time. I am a failure in my career. Um, and you can take that and extrapolate it out to any situation in my life. I so often let my failures define me. But this morning, I think, as we move into communion, it's this beautiful opportunity to be reminded that if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, there's one event that defines you and has nothing to do with any mistake you've made. It's the event that we remember every week in communion, that Jesus went to the cross and that he died for every way you'll ever fail, every way you have failed, every way you're failing now, every way that you'll ever fail. That's the event that defines you and it defines you as beloved child of God. It defines you as forgiven. It defines you as chosen. It defines you as new. And so if you're here this morning and there's some great failure in your life, some failure, at least something that you define as a failure, that you've allowed to kind of tell you who you are, you're not living in the story that, that God is trying to paint over your life. You're living in a different story. And so this morning, as we take communion and we remember that Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, 
betrayed by Peter, uh, betrayed by Judas, betrayed by his friends. On that night, he sat with his friends. He sat with the ones that would betray him, and he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for all of you, the ones that, the ones that would betray me, the ones that would leave me, the ones that would fail. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he again gave thanks, and he took the cup, and he said, this is a new covenant I am making with you in my blood. A new promise that I'm making, one where I won't fail, you'll fail, but, it, but it's for your failures, and I won't fail. And so we take communion every week by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup, remembering that Jesus died for failures like us, that our failures would never define us, that they would never get to tell us who we are, that our failures would never have the last word, but that Jesus's life, death, and resurrection would instead get the last word spoken over us. And so this morning, as you prepare to take communion and you sit in your seat and you think about what Carrie said, I want you to think back over your life and I want you to think back, it might be painful, but I want you to think back to those failures, the worst ones, the ones that like you try to bury so deep because you don't want to deal with. I want you to think about those things. And I want you to, I want you to hold that, that thing in front of you, that failure, that, that moral failure, that business failure, that career failure, that relational failure. I want you to hold it in front of you. And then when you've kind of looked at it for a second, I want you to take something different and hold it in front of you. I want you to take the resurrection of Jesus, and I want you to hold that event in front of you. I just want you to kind of weigh it out. What's bigger? That failure? That, that thing that you did wrong? Or that thing, that miracle that God did to make it right? What's going to get the final word over your life? What's going to get to tell you who you are? Who's going to get to tell you who you are? So this morning, we just invite you to the table for communion. We take communion every week by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup. We have communion on my left back here, gluten-free communion in the back on my right. And whenever you're ready, uh, whenever you've sat and reflected with God, I hope you find some, some freedom today from your failures. Whenever you're ready, I just invite you to get up and take communion. Let me pray for you. Father, um, we come before you this morning, and we probably could all self-identify as failures. We've made, an, uh, we've made an identity out of our failures. We've failed to take the identity that you've given us because we've seen the ways that we've messed up is too big. As we reflect on the failures of Peter this morning. Um, can't imagine any of ours are, are that bad, honestly. And you restored him. How much more are you willing, ready, eager to restore us? And so for anyone here this morning that needs restoration from their failures, their sins, their foibles, their they're walking away from you. 
their fickleness spiritually. God, I pray they would hear in their heart a word of restoration from you this morning. Instead of hiding, I pray that they would run to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to our Sunday service. If you're interested in joining us in the future, you can find us at 17766 Cleveland Avenue Northwest on Sunday mornings at 10. Additionally, we host a meal every first and third Sunday after service in order to fellowship with one another. Visit aseatforyou.org for more information. We hope you'll join us next week. Go in peace.